0: All right, so I want to thank everybody for joining us today on From the Head of the Bed podcast. I'm Cassidy Paget. I'm actually here with Dr. Gustafi today in Louisville, Kentucky at COSAIR's Children Medical Center. Before we get too far along into this, I'm going to have Dr. Gustafi introduce herself. Just tell us a little bit about herself and how she ended up here at COSAIR. Uh,
1: well, good afternoon, everyone. I'm Andrea, and I have been at COSAIR for 12 years. And previous to that, I spent some time in general surgery residency and then some time in the military as well. So here I am. And what I like to do is pediatric anesthesia. And here at CoSAIR, we have the opportunity to teach anesthesia residents and anesthesia, nurse anesthesia students as well.
0: All right. Thank you, Dr. Christophe. She works a lot with us students and she's a great help force. We certainly enjoy having her here with us today. Today, Dr. Christofi is going to be talking to us about cases, not necessarily that we see every day, and certainly probably even less so in the pediatric world. But when we do have these cases, it's something that just a little bit of preparation can go a long ways. And uh, Dr. Christofi has actually come up with some tips and tricks to help out, and she's actually willing to share some of those with us today. And so, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and turn things over to Dr. Christoffi, and she's going to be talking to us today about double lumen tubes in the pediatric population.
1: So, before we actually start into the meat of the subject, we want to answer two questions. How do we determine the need for single lung ventilation, first of all? And then second, how do we proceed after we've made that decision? So there have been some studies done back in the late 90s where people have tried to predict sizes of tubes for pediatric patients. In the adult world, it's quite simple. Most of the time double lumen tubes will fit that general population, but for children that is a little bit more tricky. So I'm going to take some information from a table where we have an age group of a half a year to one year where the tracheal size in millimeters is 5.6. And when we look at different sizes of bronchial diameters on the right, it's always going to be a little bit bigger. In that age range, it's 4.8 millimeters, and on the left, 3.7. So you can see there's a little bit of discrepancy, and when we compare that to a teenager, the tracheal diameter is 12.7, with the right being 10.9, and the left, 8.4. So that discrepancy does continue. So let's talk a little bit about indications for single lung ventilation So there are absolute indications and relative indications. Absolute, you want to isolate one lung from the other, basically for contamination reasons, if it's infection, bleeding. And then the third is if there needs to be control of ventilation, where you might have a bronchoparal fistula, any kind of large cysts, things like that. So in that sense, you can isolate the one lung from the other. A unique situation is when patients do come for bronchopulmonary lavage for conditions like alveolar proteinosis. Some relative indications are more for surgical exposure, higher priority if it's a thoracic aortic aneurysm or pneumonectomy upper lobectomy. If it's a little bit lower, lower lobectomy is middle lobe on the right then those are a little bit lower on the totem pole for having a single lung ventilation situation there are three different techniques that you can use to achieve single lung ventilation the first and most simplest of course is if you have your single lung single tube and you mainstem of course easiest to do on the right and not as easily on the left but it can be accomplished with practice and with fiber optic guidance into the left. There are also balloon tip bronchial blockers of which the univent tube is a good example. And then again, double lumen tubes that we've mentioned at the beginning. So some of the problems with single lumen endotracheal tubes when you're trying to achieve single lung ventilation is that you cannot sometimes have an adequate seal. Maybe the lung may not collapse entirely. And sometimes it's easier to have uh, contamination from one side to the other just with that single lumen tube in. So the next we'll talk about are the balloon tip bronchial blockers. And when you envision this, this is a single lumen tube with a smaller tube alongside the single lumen tube that has a very small balloon on the end so that you can take that and put it into the right or the left and then inflate the balloon to achieve your single lung ventilation. With practice, these can be placed on either side. Of course, one side is always easier, which is the right, just because the angle is a little bit less acute. Some of the issues that can occur with the bronchial blockers is that it can be dislodged a little bit easy, The balloons are low volume, but they're also high pressure. So sometimes that can cause some edema in the area where you've had that. So just be aware, especially when we're working with smaller tracheas and bronchial lumens. With the blocker, the end is closed off. So that is one thing to remember that you cannot suction through that. And so that's just something to keep in mind. So, when we talk about these bronchial blockers, Univent tubes, the internal diameters, uh, again, this is from research in the late 90s, for a tube of 3.5 millimeters internal diameter, remember that there will be a discrepancy. That external diameter or outer diameter will be anywhere from 7.5 to 8 millimeters. So, that's a difference of anywhere between 3 and 4 millimeters. Again, in adults, that small discrepancy is not something that will cause issue after the surgery, but when we're talking for pediatrics, that is just something to keep in mind. So next, we'll talk about double lumen endotracheal tubes. There are several different types. The one that is most recently used now are the uh, Carlin's tubes. There are other couple that have been used with frequency in the past that used to have carinal hooks. So those you may be seeing in some more of the regional hospitals should you work there. So all of those double lumen endotracheal tubes, they have the common feature that there are two tubes. They're equal length. They're kind of molded together with two cuffs. One is the tracheal cuff, and then the other is the bronchial cuff. The size is measured in French, not in millimeters. So when you talk about a 26 French double lumen endotracheal tube, the outer diameter of the main body is going to be about 9.3 millimeters. And that is where, just to think about it, that's going to be within the trachea. Then the bronchial lumen, which is what you will be angling into either right or Or left side, that outer diameter is 5.7 millimeters. So again, you can see there is some narrowing of the tube, but important to note when you are doing pediatrics. Some of the larger sizes, 37s, 38s, 42s, those are anywhere from 14 to 16 millimeters for the main body and about 10 to 12 for the bronchiolumen diameter. Some of the advantages for using double lumen tubes is that you can provide positive pressure ventilation and be able to suction either the operative lung or then also the non-operative lung if you think that there are some secretions there. The nice thing is that you can have high volume but low pressure cuffs on those tubes. There can still be some swelling from the area of placement, But the nice thing with the lower pressure cuff, it will cause uh, less airway damage. So when we talk about pediatric patients and we have cases where we need to isolate ventilation, one point to remember is that a size 26 French double lumen tube corresponds to approximately a 5.5 millimeter endotracheal tube with a cuff. So if you have a patient that you know can have that type of a single lumen tube, for the most part, then a 26 French will work for that patient. Just remember that sometimes in peds, just because there are shorter lengths, the angles may seem to be a little bit more acute than in the adult population. A couple more things to discuss before we finish is some of the physiologic concerns that can occur when you initiate single lung ventilation. So when you have a decrease in the saturation, there are several things to kind of make a checklist. So the first thing is, is the tube dislodged? So you'll have to take another look through the fiber optic, make sure that the original position is still where you are. If not, then That should be an easy fix, or if there is some secretion, some blood, then to suction that out to increase your oxygenation. But most of the time, hypoxemia occurs because there is that mismatch of ventilation and perfusion, and so a couple other things to help you with that could be adding some CPAP, and that's to the non-dependent, non-ventilated lung or to add PEEP to that lung which you are ventilating. If you consider adding PEEP, then just remember, in order to keep pressures the same, you may have to decrease your tidal volume a little bit and increase your frequency. So just changing some of the parameters may help with improving your arterial oxygenation talk with your surgeon. That would be the next step if you cannot achieve increases in your saturation by either of those techniques to find out if you can intermittently re-expand the operative lung. If all else fails, then the surgeon can also put a temporary ligature on the pulmonary artery. In some cases, if it, the case is a pneumonectomy or a lobectomy and the arterial inflow can be located, then that ligation can be permanent and can really help you with your oxygenation. If all else fails, again, let your surgeon know and go directly to re-expansion of both lungs and troubleshoot once again. Also check all your connections. Make sure that you have an intact circuit as well. I think that will conclude our discussion of single lung ventilation and some of the small pearls to remember for the pediatric population. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for that, Dr. Christoffi. There's certainly a lot of information there that we could use and remember in just a short period of time. I will ask a few questions. I know that you have some charts in your presentation there that we can refer back to. So I'm going to try to get some of those and actually post them in our show notes, if that's okay with you. Um, So we can have some quick references to those charts. If you you don't mind, can you briefly just explain how you would go about using those two different charts on selecting a tube size?
1: Yes. The one chart that I find to be the most helpful is from Hammer and Associates from Anesthesia and Analgesia from 1999. And the progression of information goes from age in years to single endotracheal tube to bronchial blocker, to double lumen tube. And when you progress from a half a year to a year, and you can use approximately a 3.5 to 4.0 endotracheal tube, at that age range, you probably won't be able to use a double lumen tube. But when you reach about age 8 or 10, where you can use a 5.5 or a 6.0 endotracheal tube, you probably will then be able to accommodate a 3.5 millimeter univent tube or a 26 French double lumen tube. And if you uh, would like, I can send you those charts. You can uh, contact me by email. That's an easy table to uh, be able to get to you.
0: All right. Yeah, we certainly thank you for that. Just one more question. As you're going back and you're preparing for these cases, you're going inter-op um, or even in pre-op, what are some of the things that are just kind of running through your head, last minute, thing you're trying to remind yourself of right before you get back for the case?
1: A couple of things to remember. Not every patient is going to be able to accommodate what you may have thought is possible. So an example is I'm going to use a 26 French double lumen tube, but don't just have that available. Because if it doesn't fit, or you have problems placing it, or problems placing the bronchial end of it, then maybe you should convert to a single lumen tube. So always have more than one plan. So if plan A does not seem to be working out, then you can smoothly transition to plan B. Again, always remember to communicate to your surgeon, and in pre-op, it's always a good thing to talk to your surgeon. And ask him for any expectations that he has. Uh, He may have a different plan than you have entirely, and it's probably best to talk about that in the pre-op situation than once you've already initiated your plan and the surgeon shows up and had a totally different plan. So preparation is always key. And just remember that things don't always go as planned, but if you have thought out beyond one kind of scenario and thought about maybe two or three more and be prepared for those, then I think that will make the entire situation much better.
0: Well, we want to thank you again for joining us today, Dr. Christoffi. It's certainly been our pleasure with having you with us. We want to thank everybody for listening. Um, please continue to follow us on From the Head of the Bed. We'll be back with you shortly. Thanks.
1: Thank you.